0: This episode is brought to you by the all new No Fail Meetings course, where you'll discover how to turn meetings from a hated, necessary evil to enjoyable checkpoints on your way to your most ambitious milestones. Go to nofailmeetings.com to get the course at 20% off, plus get two free bonuses, meeting agenda templates, and a digital version of the No Fail Meetings book offer valid until May 26th. So go to nofailmeetings.com now to get your meetings on track.
1: Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt.
2: And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller.
1: And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Today, we're talking about succession and specifically what the experience has been like from Megan's perspective and from my perspective as she succeeded me as the CEO of Michael Hyatt & Company. But if you're not a CEO or you don't plan to be a CEO, succession is still relevant. Anytime you get a promotion, you're going to leave a vacancy, and the person that takes that role is your successor. And there's some things that we're going to say today that are going to apply even in that context. I've had situations in the past where I've done it well, times when I've not done it so well. And the biggest challenge always as you move up is you're going to want to continue to do the same job, but you need to guard against that. And so we're going to talk specifically about how to do that. So maybe where we should start, Megan, is just talk a little bit about our unique context, which will mm-hmm. give people an understanding. And I think right. well, as we apply that, it's, it's going to apply broader than our context. But I want to ask you a very personal question. What okay. were you most afraid of when you stepped into your new role as the CEO of Michael Hyatt & Company?
2: Yeah, I think that's such a good question because probably anytime you're in the middle of a succession process, again, whether you're moving into the role of a CEO or not, or you're, you know, maybe you were a marketing director and now you're going to become the chief marketing officer, regardless, there are fears. In my case with you, take the family business part of it out of it. I mean, you were a very seasoned CEO, you'd led a public company, you had been a CEO several times prior to that, even. Um, you obviously have 25 years on me <laughs> as my dad, <laughs> and and so I mean I think coming in as a first time CEO, knowing that I had really big shoes to feel, fill, and that our team would be expecting me to lead at the level that you led at, albeit differently in some ways. But you know I mean that that's kind of intimidating.
1: Yeah, and i I get that, but I would I would say too that a lot of that's how you frame it. Sure. You know, because I've been in context where I've succeeded somebody that was very old school and I thought, you know, I'm bringing to this some more youthful energy and some more clarity that right. uh, that my, you know, predecessor didn't have. And I think that's sure. true in this case also. I mean, I think you're bringing a fresh new perspective to your role and, you know, that's just my perspective on it.
2: Yeah, it's good to just kind of be like honest about it though, because I think that was certainly in my mind and part of the process has been, you know, leading up to this, which was a couple of years plus in the succession process and, you know, working toward this. But then now, um, more than a quarter in, I think has just been making it my own and letting that be okay. Like, Hey, this is going to look different than what it looked like for you. And we can both be successful, but in our own ways. And that's fine.
1: Yep. That's exactly Right. And, you know, if, if I'm honest, if I look at kind of what I went through, my past experience yeah. as an incoming CEO uh, in a succession process that I thought we had had on the front end, pretty defined, but about a day after I became the new CEO, the whole thing came off the rails because oh. my predecessor had not really planned for what he was going to do after he transferred yep. the company to me. And he panicked and he went back tried to go back to what he was doing before which is he wanted to unseat me and be resume his activities as the CEO the only problem was we were publicly held it had been announced it had been voted on and the board was squarely behind me but it met it it resulted in a couple of really rocky years because he just had a hard time letting go and he was one of our biggest shareholders so it wasn't you know exactly an option for me to just kind of kick him out the front door
2: Gosh, it was so complicated. I remember when all that was happening. It was just wild. You know, you're you're telling it now and it's like in a neat little package, but when you lived it, it was obviously oh. much more unnerving and, and much messier, you know, to navigate those waters and it went on for a long time.
1: Well, it did. And, and part of what made it so challenging is I had all the same, you know, insecurities and challenges of being a, a CEO of a company that large and all the challenges of running a company you know, trying to keep everything moving forward and meeting our financial projections and and the market's expectations and all that stuff. Meanwhile, in the background of my existence, I've got this person who's second guessing me, who's uh, literally trying to unseat me. And so one of the things I determined, and this is really apropos to this discussion, one of the things I determined is that at the point at which I leave, in fact, I was able to do this at, at Thomas Nelson with my Uh, successor when I finally left the company is I said, I'm going to make this as easy as possible for them. So what have, what have I learned from this very negative circumstance or this negative situation? What have I learned that will serve me and the people that I want to serve going forward? And I wish this wasn't the case, but it seems like, you know, oftentimes it's, it's going through an experience and having a bad experience that kind of sets us up to do something better.
2: Well, it's funny, you know, every time we have one of our business accelerator coaching intensives where our clients come in from out of town and you know they're they're here for a day or i do a podcast interview or we have a live event or whatever people always ask okay but really What's it like? What what has this succession been like? Or they tell me their horror stories, you know, whether it's in their family or a business that they worked in. And basically, no one thinks it ever goes well. And mostly people's experiences, if they have had a firsthand experience, and it hasn't gone well. So I think that's a great segue to what we're talking about today, which is... If you want to have a successful transfer of power, whichever end of it you're on, and whatever your context is, again, doesn't have to be a CEO uh, transfer. But there are basically four non-negotiables that we've come up with that have really guided our own process, and I think have made it possible for us to do this well. And you know, I feel really grateful and proud as a result.
1: I do too. This kind of leads us right into this first non-negotiable which is be clear on how your roles will change don't just assume that the other person understands don't assume that even you understand you know my predecessor when i was at thomas nelson if he had been just clear and if he had written out exactly what he was going to be doing following the transition Mm -hmm. it would have been smooth you know he would have been in better position i would have been in a better position But we kind of had some unstated assumptions. He had some assumptions about how he wanted it to go. He just never bothered to say it out loud. And then all of a sudden, it came out after the fact, and it came out sideways.
2: Well, there are a couple of reasons why this idea of being clear on how your roles are going to change is really, truly non-negotiable. One reason is that inherent in any transition like this is a major identity shift, You know, so you in this case went from being the CEO of the company to being our founder and chairman, and really reducing the amount of time you spend in the business to three days a week from five days a week. That's a huge change, you know. And so I think that nobody really talks about this very much, but unless you sort of do business with the identity part of that, and you know, uh, then you're going to have problems. Same, same for me. You know, I went from operating the business and really kind—I was in the, the role of chief operating officer prior to this. I was was running the whole business, but I was not responsible for the visionary component of the business. Certainly you and I collaborated on that. And I, you know, I'm very futuristic by nature and our our work together just tends to be collaborative, but it wasn't my ultimate responsibility. And now it is, you know, now it is, again, we're still collaborative, but I have to always be out in the future. And that was a substantial shift in kind of my identity and, and my day-to-day work as a leader. And I think that, um, you know, if you're not really clear on how this changes your identity and how to how it changes your day to day work, then you're you're liable to get in each other's way, overlap, usurp each other, all kinds of stuff.
1: Yeah, and so the change for me has been that I've got to relinquish control, mm-hmm. and I've got to step back, and that mm-hmm. means that that specifically there's certain meetings that I'm not going to attend. Right. There are certain things that I'm not going to comment on. There are certain things that, uh, you know, that I need to be at, but I need to be very thoughtful and intentional about it. So, you know, it it just takes uh, a rethinking and you got to be self-aware about it. And to be honest, it's not always that easy. Right. You know, I I can think back to last summer when I, when I first started thinking about this whole idea of, of the transition. And I thought about going from five days a week to three days a week. And for, you know, many of Mm -hmm. you, as you're listening to this, you'd go, Oh, that must be awesome. Well, it is until you kind of confront it and you go, but what am I going to do with my time?
2: Right, right. You know, does,
1: does that somehow mean that I'm less valuable, that right. I have less to contribute? And so you kind of have to work through all that stuff psychologically. Yeah. And, you know, again, to put this in a context where you're not the CEO, let's say you're the marketing director who's being promoted to the chief marketing officer. There may have been decisions that you made in the past. There were decisions that you made all the time. And you may have to recuse yourself from those kinds of decisions going forward so that the person who is your successor has an opportunity to kind of spread their wings, to kind of gather themselves and, and gain some confidence in making those decisions.
2: Well, you know, practically speaking, I've had a couple of directors, uh, or rather, I've had a couple of executives on my team hire new directors for their team. So all of a sudden, now they're not needing to do certain tasks or have certain responsibilities that they used to have. Those are now being delegated to the new director to own. And I would say in almost every case, it's been challenging. um, And the good thing is we've talked a lot about it, but it's been challenging to figure out, okay, now what do I do? You know, if I sort of give my own job away so to speak, then then what? You know, it creates a weird period of liminal space. And I think it's important to um, make space for that, to anticipate it, know that it's normal, and that you're going to feel a little bit unmoored for a period of time. But what I have uh, recommended to them that they do is that they update their job description, that they make sure they're very clear on the job description of the person that's coming in, and that they adjust their calendar accordingly so that it really reflects their new responsibilities. And then just be patient with themselves. Like, hey, it's going to take a minute to get my sea legs here, you know?
1: You know, um, you mentioned a concept, you kind of blew past it, but I want to just unpack it a little bit. And that's the idea of liminal space, liminal space. So this is an idea that I think you and I took from Richard Rohr from his book, Everything Belongs. Mm -hmm. And he says that liminal space is that space in between two states, like the transom on your door is a liminal space. You're not in the den, you're not in the porch, you're somewhere in between. Liminal spaces are very uncomfortable, but they're also temporary, right? And so you just kind of have to get used to the fact that in this liminal space, in this temporary space, there's going to be just some discomfort, as you put it, till you get your sea legs. I didn't know you used to be a sailor, but you know, <laughs> great metaphor. But uh, but yeah, you want you want the peop- you want yourself, and you want the other person to get comfortable in their in their roles eventually. But that means discomfort at first, and that's okay. Don't try to don't try to make that feel okay faster than it needs to. It's just going to feel uncomfortable because once again, you're in that liminal space for a while.
2: And don't panic, like don't make any big decisions. Like, you know, unfortunately your predecessor in in your previous role did where you try to make decisions from that place. Like just let it be uncomfortable and let it, let it ride for a minute. You know, I think that's kind of the takeaway from that idea.
1: Yeah. I almost felt like for him, it was almost like if you were out on a frozen lake, And suddenly he fell through, fell the icy cold water and did everything he could to get back on the ice and get back to the shore from where he started.
2: So that's non-negotiable number 1, be clear on how your roles will change. Non-negotiable number 2 is establish regular check-ins. So this is going to be true again for any professional transition that's happened, but I think particularly when you have a transition between a previous CEO and or owner of a company and a new CEO, you know, the who doesn't have the the previous CEO not having as much operating responsibility or that in your case, you know, you you've intentionally chosen not to have any operating responsibility then we have to be intentional about how we're going to stay connected because the danger is, on the one hand, that you could be too involved. That would be problematic. We'll talk about that in a minute. But on the flip side, we could get too disconnected from each other as business partners, as uh, you as the founder, and the vision could diverge too much from, you know, kind of what your original intent was, and that could be its own problem. So, we really established kind of a cadence of meetings that we're in that I think has really been beneficial so far. You want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I do. I just want to say just as a general principle too, that in the absence of proximity, when you're not together all the time, mm-hmm. you start kind of creating your own narrative about how things are happening or what's yep. happening. So and if you don't if you're not checking in on a regular basis, you don't have the opportunity to recalibrate and make sure that you're on the same page. And that's where things start to spin out of control. When people are not talking, you know, they they tend to, you know, stop believing the best about one another and they start inventing their own narratives and it gets, you know, worse from there. Yeah. So kind of the the pattern or the cadence that we've established, we have weekly one-on-one meetings. In fact, we did it this afternoon, but we have lunch together on Mondays. Mm-hmm. And we don't always have an agenda for that. You know, it'll just be issues that we've accumulated during the week or just shoot the bowl or dream about the future. But it's just a way of staying connected. The the fact that we're staying connected is more important than what we're talking about.
2: Yep, that's absolutely true.
1: Then I would say the second thing is executive meetings. And these are your meetings with your executive team, Mm -hmm. but as needed. Now, to be honest, there's been very few of those that I've been in. Yep. But occasionally, and we're having one, I think tomorrow, mm-hmm. where we're talking about a new um, initiative that was your brainchild, and you kind of want me to buy into it. Right, and get your you want input me, on it. Yeah, get my input and make sure that, you know, I'm getting the best opportunity to do that, to hear the full presentation and right. give input on that. So, you know, to a lesser extent, there's certain executive team meetings. But, but here's the thing, and we're going to talk about this in the next point. I don't want to be in all of them. Right. Right. I don't want people confused. About who the leader of the company is. Mm-hmm. Then quarterly financial reports. So I'm not in the monthly meetings anymore. Quarterly is sufficient. I think of myself more now as the investor in the company. And Yeah, I'm doing some things for the company, some front stage work, but I'm more the investor or the owner. And so just quarterly, you know, I want to report on how things are going. And in yeah. every context I've ever been in, you know, whether it's running a public company or a company for private equity or whatever, you know, that's kind of the minimal rhythm. Yeah, and then we do. Uh, we also do quarterly tax planning meetings, so that we've got financial advisors and tax accountants and all that in the room. So that's another another meeting. But um, I'm basically just trying to stay out of your hair.
2: <laughs> so in those quarterly financial report meetings you know a few things we're doing I'm updating you with our CFO on our financial performance for the quarter I'm updating you on our year-end projections because you know that's what we're really interested in is how is it looking you know through the end of the year I'm updating you on kind of our cash position our cash flow forecast through year-end at a high level and then also on projected owner distribution uh, distributions through year-end so that's those are really the four areas that we're covering that are kind of the the template agenda for that meeting um, but those are th- those are the Things that you're concerned about with regard to how's the company doing? How's it? How's it performing? How are we looking? You know, I mean, those are all important things you need to stay updated on. So this may be um, irrelevant depending on your context. You might need more frequent meetings. Uh, you might need something different altogether. But in our case, this is really helpful.
1: And I, and I think again to put this in the context where you're not the CEO, let's go back to the example of your yeah. The marketing director that got promoted to the chief marketing officer, you've got to have regular check-ins. Here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to abdicate, you know, and I've done that in the past where, you know, you, you christen the new person as the head of the department or whatever, and then you just disappear because you're busy and you've got all these new responsibilities and they're left to fend for themselves. That's not a good solution. So you don't want to abdicate, but by the same token, you don't want to micromanage. So you want to give them space, which we're about to get to in a minute.
2: Yeah. So non-negotiable number one, be clear on how your roles will change. Non-negotiable number two, establish regular check-ins. And then non-negotiable number three is to give the new CEO or leader space to lead. So I have to tell a little story about this. Then we'll talk about some of these kind of particulars that we have here. You know, when I became the CEO on January 1st or 2nd, whatever that first Monday was, one of the really interesting things is that you were gone for two weeks at that point. So you were like on vacation I don't even remember exactly why you took those two weeks off, you know, what the rationale was for that. But looking back on it, it was so cool because we had, first of all, prepared really well. So I didn't need you during that time. You know, there was not, it wasn't like I was high and dry. But what it did was it allowed me to firmly establish myself as the leader of the company in front of our team, make decisions, you know, just kind of have the ability to stretch my wings a little bit without you kind of looking over my shoulder and feeling insecure or trying to navigate like your emotions with my emotions, you know, fortunately that's really not been an issue, but you know, certainly in some cases you could at least feel like maybe it would be an issue. And anyway, it was just a huge gift. I don't know if that was intentional on your part from that perspective, but at least at some level, there was so much wisdom in that. And it was really a gift to me.
1: Well, I would like to tell you that it was intentional, (laughs) but it wasn't. But I would recommend that that if you are considering a succession in your company, that you be intentional about that. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, get out of town. Here's what you don't want to have happen. You don't want to be in a meeting where people are looking at you and they're looking at your predecessor and they can't figure out who's in charge or they're not quite sure who's giving the marching orders. And, you know, just to add to that, the founder needs to back the new CEO in public. The new uh, chief marketing officer needs to back the marketing director, even if they've made a decision that, you know, you would have made a different decision, unless it's something that's catastrophic or egregious in some way, you've got to back them. Because if you, if you allow, you know, any kind of um, crack in the armor, so to speak, or any kind of crack in the foundation, it makes people, it makes everybody insecure. Right. Yeah. And, and what you don't want to do is create a situation where you get triangulated, Yeah, you know, where, where people start, you know, coming to, to the, the predecessor and, you know, stir up trouble. I mean, I, you know, I've experienced that on both sides. You don't want that. You've got to be absolutely aligned. And this is very similar to parenting. <laughs>
2: It's so right. similar to parenting, so I, you know, yeah, you can't have one like good cop and one bad pop, cop, you know, I mean, often like Joel will tell the kids, you know, you can't have anything after dinner. And I'm thinking, God, but we made this like really exotic, you know, soup that I knew they wouldn't like, but I'm happy they tried it, you know, whatever. But I'm like, okay, I got to back him. <laughs> you know, he said they had to eat it. So it's it's like that kind of a situation. Like you really got to, you've got to back the new leader so that it's not, uh, they're not getting undermined in public because it'll undermine their authority and their ability to have authority going forward.
1: Well, and and I think if we're honest, we have to say that I haven't done this perfectly. And I can think of a couple of examples, including recently, where I, I dropped the ball. And, and usually it stems from a lack of self-awareness. Like I can remember posting something in the executive channel where I disagreed with you. And I, I just, I forgot for a minute, you know, the authority that I used to have and, and, and kind of the command that I still have. Right. And, you know, thankfully you were, you were quick to call me out on it and we got aligned behind the scenes, but man, I'll tell you as, as the, as the predecessor, you know, the one that's being succeeded, you cannot be too self-aware. Yeah. You know, and we had this situation where even this last week was a situation where I said something to you that was kind of a Throwaway idea for my part. I didn't really think it all the way through, but it was very unsettling to you. And I won't go into the details, but, but you know, you called me on it and thankfully we got, you know, realigned, but this is not easy folks. This is something you have to be really thoughtful about.
2: Yeah, it's not easy. It's so funny. I mean, I, I really feel like you've done this so well. You know, I don't even remember that situation in Slack you're talking about or, you know, our executive team channel. So I, don't, I I literally don't remember what you're talking about. But I, I feel like you have been very intentional that you're always so encouraging to me, both publicly and in private. And I'm really grateful for that. And, you know, I also think we have really open communication. And when something goes off in some way, that both of us will bring that up. So what we don't have is like, this sense of things are building up behind the scenes, you know, and I think we, we both trust each other in terms of our intention and our, our heart toward each other is to be supportive and, and in, in really back each other, you know, but I think you've done awesome at this.
1: Thank you. You know, I, I, I do think that one of the most important things you can do is speak only positive things in public about the successor yep. and about the predecessor. Yeah, You know, whatever role you're in, only speak positive things. This is one of the commitments uh, that that your mom and I made early on in our marriage mm-hmm. is that we're only going to speak well of each other in public because we've been around couples where if you're with one party to the couple, they're complaining about the other party. First right. of all, it puts everybody in an awkward position. Right. It's not healthy and it only reinforces them seeing their spouse in a negative light. Yeah, now, there's an appropriate place for that. And that appropriate place would be your therapist or your pastor right. or somebody that's actually brought in that can help, you know, solve the problem. But to make that kind of casual conversation to your friends or whatever, I I just, I hate it. And and here's the thing that the effect that it has on me, when I'm calling you out for the things that you're doing well, mm-hmm. when I'm noticing these, those things and acknowledging mm-hmm. it, guess what happens? It, it makes me see that and emphasize it even to myself. Yeah. You know what I'm
2: saying? So important. Yeah, you kind of get more of what you notice.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think this is an important thing to do is, and and I think to realize too, the self-awareness on the part of the person who's being succeeded is to realize that that other person, in your case, Megan, that there's going to be some natural insecurity as you begin, you know, as you get your sea legs. And so the more I can do to affirm you privately and in public, mm-hmm. the faster you're going to get the confidence you need to be able to execute at a high level. And that's yep. important.
2: And you know what? That's not just true at the CEO level. That's true. If you just hired a marketing director or a marketing manager right. or who, whoever on your team, you know, they're really like looking to you, whether they say it or not, and they probably won't, they're looking to you and they're saying like, Hey, am I doing okay? You know? And so the more ways that you can say, yeah, totally, you know, the, the faster, like you said, they're going to have the confidence to not need that anymore. So I think that's really important. Another really key thing here around this non-negotiable number three, giving the new CEO space to lead. Part of the way the new CEO can you know ask for th- for that or sort of be entitled to that at some level is by using what we call cascading communication between themselves and the founder, you know, and again, this, you can apply this to any context you're in to avoid surprises. So I did this not very well recently, we had a, a funny, it's funny now, but you know, I felt terrible in the moment, I had a big uh, executive team meeting where I had a presentation from our marketing team about some really exciting initiatives that they were thinking about. I'd had them working on for a long time it was an unbelievable presentation, it kind of went in a direction that I didn't expect, they actually did, they over delivered big time. And so I was so excited about it that I just uh, had Aaron, my chief of staff, just shoot that video off to you. And I was like, oh, it's gonna be so exciting. I just need your buy in. And then we'll move forward. It was a big enough, you know, uh, consideration that I really needed you to, to listen to it. Well, what I didn't think about at all, I mean, normally I'm good at this. I don't know where my brain was on that day, but I didn't think about the fact that some of the things that we were talking about changing were personal to you. There were things you had created or things that, you know, um, that that mattered to you, that you had had a hand in. And I just, from my perspective, I was like at a 30,000 foot level. I was in the future. I was thinking about how great this is going to be. And I mean, it was just a. it kind of like set you back on your heels for a minute, you know, and in in retrospect, it all worked out. You know, thankfully, it's actually turned out to be really good and really exciting for our future. I did not think about cascading communication. Had I have thought about that, I would have had that meeting with just the two of us receiving that presentation so that you could digest it, think about it. Then I would have presented it to the executive team and on down, you know, the line. So basically the the most significant stakeholder in this case, which is you, would have heard about it first so that they weren't so you weren't surprised, kind of hearing about it after, you know, hmm. 10 or 15 people had heard it. And I think there's so many examples like that. You know, it just I don't want you to be surprised. I think being surprised, especially depending on your personality type, is not a fun feeling. You know, when you're kind of flat-footed, um, and so I think that's one of the things. If you're the the incoming leader, that you can really help your predecessor trust you and feel confident in your leadership by using cascading communication, going from the most senior or the most significant stakeholder on down through the levels, either of stakeholders or kind of hierarchically in your organization so that they're not surprised and flat-footed.
1: Well, this is, from my perspective, this is where you always have to assume positive intent.
2: Right. And that's
1: kind of, I was kind of rocked back initially, but then I thought, wait a second, these people are just trying to do what is best for the company. Right. And frankly, what is best for my future. Right. So nobody had any bad intent here. They're trying to do the right thing. And and I can see that. And frankly, if I had been in the meeting, uh, well, first of all, you didn't even know what was going to be covered. So you couldn't have covered it with me first. But the, the where I got peace at it, I thought, you know, if I'd been in that meeting, I really would have inhibited what turned out to be a very fruitful discussion. And I'm totally Hundred percent on board, and we'll be revealing it to you guys in the future. But uh, but it was a big initiative, and and I I I just kind of like the way that it turned out. I think it was really really good, not by design, right? But you know, we retrofitted it with that.
2: That's right. Okay, so the last non negotiable, non negotiable number four is to act as a strategic advisor and coach. So this is the predecessor. Uh, to the new leader, and I just want to say you have done such a fantastic job of this. You've done this, you know, throughout Thank my you. entire time at Michael Hyatt and Company. Actually, <laughs> long before that, actually, uh, as a parent. But I think, in particular, as we were preparing for the succession, and then after, you know, I really feel like this is your most valuable role. You've often said that I'm your most important client, your most important coaching client, and not only do I feel that, which is super honoring, but When you are a new leader, the the person who preceded you may be one of the few kind of safe places that you have to share Mm. your struggles and ask questions of someone that's done it before. They've, you know, they've been where you are now because what happens when you move up is you lose peers, right? All of a sudden now, if you're the CEO, for example, you don't have any other peers within the organization. That's so right. there, are, there are things that you can't talk about with anybody. And and this, again, is true regardless of what the, the context of your succession is. So um, I'm really grateful for that. I also think that... You've been intentional about helping to build my confidence, but you have not rescued me. I mean, there we were just talking today about a meeting that I have coming up that is, um, you know, a big high stakes meeting and you were really encouraging to me about it, but you're not going to take the meeting for me. I mean, I'm going to still do the meeting, you know, and I think that's important.
1: Yeah, I think it's important as well. And I think that, you know, I, I saw this in parenting is that I went from the parent who told the kids what to do. To suddenly being a friend, right? You know, I I the the days are past when I can tell my daughters what I think they should do. What I can do as a parent is be a strategic advisor and a coach. I can ask good questions, I can help them come to their own conclusions. And you know, there's some days I do this better than other days, but one of the things I always want to be able to do with you is I don't I don't need to have the right answers. Mm -hmm. You don't need my advice. What I need to help you do is think through the right questions Mm -hmm. and, and just kind of help you get in touch with what it is that you want, Mm -hmm. because you're a enormously capable leader and you're not, you don't really need advice. You just need the space to be able to think through, think things through in a safe space Mm -hmm. where somebody who loves you and who, who is for you can, you know, maybe ask some questions that you haven't considered so that you're making a better, more full orbed uh, decision.
2: Absolutely. And you've done a great job of that. I also think you're a really good listener. And, you know, leading is hard. I mean, there are there are days that are, are certainly hard when things don't go according to plan or, you know, something goes wrong. And it's nice to be able to have a safe place to even vent or to just share your frustrations that, you know, you don't have to manage the other person's feelings because they don't report to you. They don't, you know, there's no entanglements in that way. Um, and so I think that's another piece that is kind of in here as well as it sometimes just being kind of like a soft place to land is a gift as well.
1: Yeah. We have a a funny story internally. We may have told it on the podcast before, but uh, Neil and Carly, Neil's on our staff. He's a a marketing director for us and his wife is a psychotherapist. And so when they get involved in exchange, you know, where one of them is, is venting, the other one will ask, do you need a repairman or a trash can?
2: Oh, that's so good.
1: And I think that's so powerful. But when you're having a conversation with somebody, because as, as somebody who's, you know, been a CEO before, you're, you're naturally go into fix it stage and you want to fix everything right. right away. And let's be efficient with our time and get to the answers <laughs> we need to. But sometimes you just need to ask, you know, do you need me to fix that? Or are you just venting? Right. And I like the repairman trash can. I like analogy. I, even, I even use this uh, now with my, with my wife, Gail. I'll just say, okay, do you need a trash can or do you need a repairman? <laughs> and if she needs a trash can, then I just let her talk.
2: I love that. It's so great.
1: Okay. So again, if you want to have a successful transfer of power in succession, we've shared with you four non-negotiables. Non-negotiable number one, be clear on how your roles will change. In fact, get it in writing if you can. Number two, non-negotiable number two, establish regular check-ins. What is going to be the cadence or the rhythm of your meetings? Non-negotiable number three, Give the new CEO or give your successor space to lead. Get out of their hair. Don't abdicate, but don't micromanage. And then non-negotiable number four, act as a strategic advisor and coach. Realize that your role has changed and embrace it. So Megan, as we as we kind of bring this to a close, I want to ask you, what are you most proud of in this process? The process that we've just gone through?
2: Well, I think I'm most proud of how we've honored our relationship with each other and how we've been intentional as we've walked through this process. So uh, like I said earlier, so many people come up and tell me their horror stories of succession, you know, or their fears or um, whatever. And I feel like your intentionality behind this process, as well as I was telling somebody recently, your humility in stepping into this. And, you know, so many people never even want to have this conversation because it's all about their pride and their legacy. And they don't want to think about, you know, any of that coming to an end. And, you know, so they just never have these conversations. I, I think you have stepped into that with courage and bravery and and humility and, and intentionality. And I think that that has paved the way for us to do this well. Um, which I think is a, is a great example to our clients and, um, you know, our, our audience. I'm, I'm glad for that. It's always nice to have a good example. Um, but most of all, I think that we've been able to do this because of our commitment to each other in a way that really honored each other. And so I don't feel like our relationship has been at risk. In fact, I think it's even better and stronger on the other side of this, which not everybody can say. You know, we have the added dynamic of this being a family business. Um, So I feel really proud of that. You know, I think it's it's neat to see. And hopefully I can repeat that someday with my own kids.
1: Well, I would agree with everything you said. I, I also would say and emphasize we haven't done it perfectly. Yeah. But the thing I'm the most proud of is the resilience we've had and the ability to recover. So that when we've you know fallen down, screwed it up, whatever, and more in my case than yours, you know we've been able to recover and bounce back. And I think that that you know we've allowed our each other a lot of grace and again assuming positive intent, and it's it's working great. I mean this you know this, the story's not over yet. But I have every confidence, you know, that the company is going to go on to greater and greater heights. I mean, it already is. You know, I'm just just amazed when I see the team that you're building and what you guys are achieving and the dreams that you have. And it's just fun to kind of have a front row seat, you know, complete with popcorn and be able to cheer you on. (laughs)
2: Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed kind of getting this bird's eye view into the succession process, particularly, I think, from my perspective as the incoming CEO. Hopefully you can learn from our mistakes and also our victories, and it can inform your own journey when the time comes, whatever that context may be. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing you right back here next week. Until then, lead to win.
0: This episode is brought to you by the all-new No-Fail Meetings course, where you'll discover how to turn meetings from a hated, necessary evil to enjoyable checkpoints on your way to your most ambitious milestones. Go to NoFailMeetings.com to get the course at 20% off, plus get two free bonuses, meeting agenda templates, and a digital version of the No-Fail Meetings book. Offer valid until May 26th, so go to nofailmeetings.com now to get your meetings on track.